You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Never give up. Never surrender. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. We're hosts from the network and I've got friends that just dropped by. We talk all things geeky and every week we just pick a new topic. Grab that drink from Ruby and a chair. I'm your host Matthew Rushing and joining me today, Norm. Hello. Norm, it's great to have you back. Oh, it's great to be. Happy New Year, everyone. I'm sorry I missed the first show, but um, I, things were out of my control. So, But I'm back. And We uh, missed you. Yeah, I we missed really you guys did too. Miss you. Yeah, uh, especially when we were me and Eddie were talking Doctor Who. It was it was just not the same. It didn't feel right. Mm-mm. Well, I I, uh, I I went to Ruby and I ordered my drink. Okay. And I uh, short story here. So I looked at her and I gave her my new two choices for kids. And and she turned me down. And I told her I threw my hands up and I said I give up. I surrender. You know what she said to me? Uh, that's it. I surrender. She says, Never give up. Never surrender. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it feels good because we're reunited and it mm-hmm. feels so good. Andy, <laughs> welcome back to the 602. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, it was weird. It put that in the jukebox so you could, you might hear it playing in the background. Um, and uh, hey, Ruby, can you turn that down? Okay, great. <laughs> thanks. Uh, well, guys, this is going to be fun. Um I remember all the way back in 1999, uh, I think a majority of people probably think of that as the year that Star Wars came back with The Phantom Menace. It was a huge year. But it also saw the release of three films aimed at sci-fi fandom and and really specifically Star Trek. And we don't really talk about Star Trek on this show because we're on a network that's devoted clearly to Star Trek. But the films then were Free Enterprise – Trekkies and Galaxy Quest, and I really have to thank uh, Mike Schindler for reminding me of that because I had completely forgotten that this had happened this year. And for some reason, Galaxy Quest really just seemed to hit a sweet spot for a lot of fans. And in fact, if you go to the Las Vegas Star Trek convention every year, they actually will rank this as as a Star Trek movie. I think the last time it was ranked number seven of all the along with along with all the Star Trek films. So. I feel like that we need to talk about this first things first here and now. Should be we ranking this as a Star Trek film, Norm? Well, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's it's kind of like, you know, Matthew, you and I are big James Bond fans, and Andy, I'm not I'm not sure if you are, but if you are, you probably know this already as a James Bond fan. There's a James Bond fan movie that they call a Bond movie that's called Never Say Never Again, which isn't really a James Bond movie, but it's in the spirit of it. So. Galaxy Quest came out, I think, at a time where a lot of fans were starved for just a little bit more of anything Star Trek. And I think it hit a real sweet spot and a real positive note with people because it was so fun. And it did everything right by Star Trek because I think it just it respected the material, even though it parodied the material it respected all of what it stood for, and I don't think it insulted the fans in any way, and I think the fans appreciated that. What about you, Andy? No, it's not a Star Trek movie. It's a Galaxy Quest movie. 
We just need to start a new franchise called Galaxy Quest. I agree. <laughs> okay, this is what it is for me, is that I really enjoy... Just spoilers here, folks. We're just going to ruin the entire show. I really enjoy Galaxy Quest. It is a fun, fun movie. But it's not a Star Trek movie. It's a homage. And to call it, I think, a Star Trek movie is denigrating to Star Trek and to what this movie is itself. Um, And you, you can't have a movie that satirizing something actually be a part of it. Uh, that 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 genre, you know, this can't be in the Star Trek genre because it it's a satire of that, and um, so I, I just that's what really bothers me when people call it a, a Star Trek film because I just I, I find it degrading to both because it, you're you're putting down both uh, of them in the same time. I just, it it's its own thing. It deserves to be judged on its own merit, and especially since it really is an homage to Star Trek and all that we know that happened even behind the scenes. And it's also a satire of it as well. And it can only really work if it's outside of Star Trek. So for me, that's just kind of where I see those, those things playing out. And, uh, well, I'm glad that we've settled that 602 has, has put its foot down. Um, we have made our ruling with our official council here. Uh, the, (laughs) the council of the three, and uh, we don't have to talk about it anymore. For you guys, first impressions, maybe again. Uh, I don't know if either of you remember the first time that you saw this movie. Uh, but uh, And I don't think I do. But your, your first impressions watching it again o- over the last week and reacquainting yourself with the Galaxy Quest. Gosh, that is a, that is a... I'm not even sure if we have enough recording space for me to like get it all in. But I'm going to try. So... When I first saw the movie back in 99, what I loved about it most and what stuck in my mind the most was just how good the details were regarding the characterizations and satirizations of of all of the different Star Trek cast members from the original series all the way through the next generation. Um, And not just Star Trek, but science fiction fandom in general. And they did it with such passion they did it with such reverence and it goes all the way from the way that the actors embraced their parts all the way to when you look at the Questarian convention which was at the Long Beach Convention Center look at the quality of the posters that the prop department made look at the quality of the props that the prop department made with the phasers and the voxes and the costumes and Alexander Danes or Dr. Lazarus's um, prosthetic application I mean everything there just resonated Star Trek in a way, but also resonated the love that these people had for putting this movie together. So that's what really kind of stuck with me. I do a Galaxy Quest watching at least once, possibly twice annually, because I just love it so much. I, I think it, it it makes me laugh. I get something new out of it all the time. And I'm going to stop right now from talking because it won't give Andy a chance to speak. So. <laughs> I actually do remember the first time I saw it. Um, I saw it way after when it came out. Um, when I was in college. It was probably at least five years after it came out, um, and I watched it in a in a dorm room with you know my friends from college. And I I kind of a, had a unique experience um, in that I had never seen Star Trek. So I saw Galaxy Quest years before I ever watched Star Trek. So it's kind of interesting. Um, 
I mean, it, it's so geared towards Star Trek fans, and there are so many kind of in-jokes for them. But I thoroughly enjoyed it, even without watching Star Trek, just on its own, because it's a, a really a really well-done movie. Even if you're not getting the references, you're still laughing, you still think it's funny. And I, I, and I did have an understanding of sci-fi fandom. So, um, I mean, that part I could relate to, and... At this point, Star Trek is such a cultural ph- phenomenon that it's, I mean, it's easy to understand a lot of these jokes, even if you haven't watched Star Trek a million times. So I think they did a really good job of balancing, you know, making these references that hardcore fans will enjoy, but then also casual viewers can watch this movie and enjoy it, because I certainly did numerous times. Um, I'd, I'd see it probably four or five times before I ever watched Star Trek. Then when I rewatched it, um, I rewatched it once right after I finished Next Generation, and then I rewatched it again right after um, r- right after we decided to do this show. So this last week, and it amazed me how many more jokes I got. I mean, I was just dying laughing at all of the barrel rolls and um, kind of redoing the whole Gorn fight scene. Like I I had not realized how much I had missed out um, with this movie with not seeing. The original series, so I'm really glad that I got a chance to rewatch it now with more background. So it's enjoyable without it, but I mean, it's just like extra fun stuff for uh, any viewer if they have some background in Star Trek. It's funny because you know, having a background in Star Trek is almost like reading the book before you see the movie, you know. Um, it, like, if you see the Harry Potter movies, you can get the basic gist of the story, but you lose so much of the nuance of everything that's happening. The same thing, I think, with, with Galaxy Quest. It, you know, you can really enjoy the movie by itself if you're not a Star Trek fan and you're not really a sci-fi fan. But if you are both of those things, this movie is just on a whole other level with, with what it's doing. And I think that's what really stuck out to me in this rewatch, because I honestly can't remember the first time I saw it. I'm pretty sure that I saw it in, in 99 when it came out, but I've seen it so much over the years that that first watching isn't what sticks with me. It's just the fact that I feel like I've always seen this movie. You know, it's become one of those because it's been around so long now. And so we're watching it again a couple of times, actually, in, in the last few days. It really stuck out to me that this film is made with such love for what it's talking about. You know, it's it's love for the fans of sci-fi. You know, as um, as much as it kind of points out the silliness of us, it also points out the 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 heart that we all have. And the same with just the the crew in general um, that we deal with that are obviously replacing the original series crew. Um, the way that they work together, the the way that um, you know they all have this this wonder when they finally actually are in space, you know, all those things. I just I really like the way that the film itself plays homage to all of these things and and with such beauty and grace, like which you wouldn't really expect from a comedy like this, you know, like you just expect it to kind of hack things up and, and make fun of things and put things down as so many comedies do now. And yet when I come away from this film, unlike those comedies of today that that make fun of things, 
I feel uplifted instead of, you know, put down. And I really, really, I just, that's my impression of this film is that I'm left feeling almost vindicated for being a sci-fi fan. Whereas, you know, if it was made today, I feel like we might not necessarily feel like that because it might be more mean-spirited. I mean, that's one of the things that they really nailed is because, I mean, you you can see this kind of more mean-spirited take. I think this is one of the big critiques you hear from the Big Bang Theory um, from a lot of uh, geeky people that have seen that is they feel like it's laughing at you you know it's laughing at the things you like like look haha look at these nerds whereas galaxy quest is very much like the thing that you love becomes validated Mm -hmm. at the very end you have the fans save the day because they have obsessively learned everything there is to know about this ship and everything about it and it actually saves an entire race of people it's like no, your hobby isn't stupid. No, it could mean something. No, it's not lame. No, don't feel bad about it, you know? Um, and I think that, especially for a, a culture that is often mocked, it's very refreshing to see, you know, us get some respect um, instead. And I think that's one reason why fans love this movie so much, is they get to see themselves as heroes in the movie. Well, I agree. That's I think that's why this movie succeeds on so many levels that, and I agree with you, Matthew and, and Andy, when you were saying that um, it's the respect level that this movie has given the the genre, especially Star Trek, because when you really look at the structure of the movie, it does start off with kind of, you know, satirizing in, in some ways, just really kind of pushing that envelope of, OK, the fans maybe take it too far. If you take a look at the group's. Uh, of of fans in costume it ranges from the best cosplay to the cheesiest cosplay and everything in between the kind of fans that interact with uh the 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 crew especially the scenes where you see um alexander dane or um dr lazarus's character just you know the the they the fans thump their chest and it's like you know by grabthar's hammer you know these are the fans that you've seen at conventions that you know they have perfectly cast and picked and dressed the the epitome of what these fans are at times. And it's okay that, that these people are there that we can poke fun of them because it's true. I mean, that's, that's, that's who these fans are. They, they, they make no apologies about, about how much they love it to the point where their, their costumes don't have to be great. Their, their overall appearance don't have to be great because they love being there so much. And in seeing that we love being there so much because we've also experienced it in our fandom. So that's, that's one of those, Every time I watch the movie, I keep looking deeper and deeper and deeper. I'm like, what do I get out of this more than I've seen before? And it's really kind of getting into those smaller characters that you as the audience be, project yourself through. And you can go through that journey as, say, like Guy Fleegman. Because at Star Trek, I've always said this before, at its best, always allows you to embody a certain character and experience what's going on inside the story through that character. And... Guy Fleegman was the best. He was Sam Rockwell as Guy Fleegman was absolutely the perfect casting choice for that character because he he just took that role by the horns and showed you exactly what being a passionate fan is all about from the most embarrassing moments to the most passionate moments and everything in between. So if I'm if I'm hearing you guys correctly, really sci-fi is the Rodney Dangerfield of genres. <laughs> and this this 
movie kind of really redeems that in saying that there's validity in in being a sci-fi fan. And, you know, I think even there's validity in being just a Star Trek fan and how Star Trek has actually changed people's lives. You know, um, you, you don't really hear astronauts talk about how you know, they, they watched, um, the A-Team or, you know, um, any of those kind of shows and it made them want to be an astronaut. You know, they watched Star Trek and they didn't even watch Star Wars and think, oh, I want to be an astronaut. No, they watched Star Trek. Um, so that this actually can have an, an actual impact on the course of people's lives for the better in the same way this crew ends up having an actual impact on a whole race of people's lives for the better. So I think that's uh, an amazing message to be coming from this movie. Again, with as silly as we can be when we're talking about, I wonder what happens when we put the phase coupler with the the doohickey and the technobabble, technobabble, technobabble. And, you know, so all the the make-believe parts, whereas the message and themes and morals, um, especially if we hear the guys on Mission Log talk about every week, you know, it, it really brings home the fact that there is more to this that we like than just the entertainment value. It, it's going beyond that. I think that's something that's really cool. And that's what makes entertainment kind of transcend to that next level. Um, that's what makes the best stories uh, last. And I think that's why Star Trek has lasted for so long is because it can teach and motivate us to move forward in in a different way with our lives. And um, the best stories always do that. Uh, and then that's why they, they stick around for so long. So something that this film, I think, just nails is that TOS crew dynamic, especially from what we know from the background. Andy, talk a little bit about, you know, your understanding of that after you've seen Star Trek now as opposed to the you know the first time that you saw the movie well I mean since since the the first time I saw the movie I've actually been to a Star Trek convention and saw uh William Shatner in person and (laughs) man they really do a good job of kind of poking fun at his persona I guess you could call it I mean I remember I was at the Chicago Star Trek convention and he was talking and talking and talking and to finally Kate Mulger had to like burst onto the stage because he could have gone on forever you know um and it's kind of the it's it's kind of fun to just see that from a new perspective um and be and now that I've been to a Star Trek convention and kind of put those things together I just find it so much more enjoyable now um and then you have you know um Alan Rickman kind of being a kind of uh, Patrick Stewart type character only I'm sure Patrick Stewart (laughs) Patrick Stewart loved working on Star Trek it has always seemed to me that he has nothing but love for Star Trek but it is true that he was like you know this big Shakespearean actor and people kind of were like what are you thinking doing this silly sci-fi and he was like it's not silly um I really love it but like portraying that other side of it of how um, serious actors might look down on this sort of thing and just making it fun and funny. I I just really enjoy basically everything about how they portray the cast. And then especially Gwen DeMarco and having to tackle like 
how little of a role she had on that show, just repeating the uh, the computer over and over again. Now that I know Uhura, I mean, that makes me laugh a million times more. And it's a really very sly wink at, you know, some of the problems that Star Trek did have. Um, I've got one job on this ship. <laughs> it's <Okay>. stupid, <laughs> but I'm going to do it, okay? Oh, my God, I'm repeating the ship. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and Sigourney Weaver, bless her, I mean, she's um, one of our biggest sci-fi actresses of all time, so it was really fun to see her in that role, um, and she really plays it with a lot of uh, a lot of humor, but also just the frustration that you would have if you, you know, were working on this show and got shortchanged in your character all the time. Well, they did write six whole pages about how her boobs and how they fit into her suit. So, I mean, <laughs> which mirrors you know. what Kate Mulgrew has said about how they treated her hair. I mean, they obsessed over how Kate Mulgrew's hair was and kept changing it. And they're like, "What do you think about this and this?" I'm like, "Do you think that they cared that much about Shatner's hair?" Mm, mm-hmm. Maybe and it's tan. Whether or not it's a toupee or not, we don't <laughs> care. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that that definitely kind of goes back to what a lot of the the problems that Kate Mulgrew had to experience as our first female captain is the emphasis on her looks rather than, you know, her acting, uh, which is unfortunate, but also something that when you really think about is very funny and silly and stupid. So I'm glad that they poke fun at that. Um, I think it's very right for satire. On the observations that the writers had about about how they pretty much encapsulated every single possible amalgamation of these characters. That shows, to me, that shows how deep they know their Star Trek lore. I mean, way past like what they know about the shows and way past what they know about production and shooting schedule and all that kind of stuff. They know the gossip. And, yeah. and that's what, you know, we know the gossip. I mean, as fans, we kind of like dig in there and we want to you know, know about the gossip too. But I think Tim Allen as... And, and bear with me, listeners, because there's a lot of names that are going to be thrown out here. Tim Allen as uh, Jason Nesmith playing Captain Peter, com- sorry, Commander Peter Quincy Taggart. I mean, they, that's that's a little kind of uh, a weird thing about uh, about Galaxy Quest is that there are so many of the names. You have the the persona name versus the, the actual uh, crew name, but I digress. Um, he was perfect. Tim Allen was perfect because he does have that arrogant Shatner-esque type flavor to him throughout the course of the movie but in the same way that um, that uh, Alan Rickman has that real statuesque um, elitist snobbery of you know a hoity-toity British actor of Picard's or of Patrick Stewart's caliber they found the perfect archetypal peak to resonate from these characters and I think that's why it works on so many different levels um, but the unsung heroes of of this movie and some of my favorite characters are Sam Rockwell as Guy Fleegman because he's this ne'er-do-well throwaway extra that basically made this huge part for himself throughout the course of the of the movie, as did the very first, I believe, on-screen appearance of, Brandon, of uh, Justin Long as Brandon because through him, we get to see just that real nerdy, deep, deep, deep passion that fans have for the show and where he was shamed in it earlier on in the movie, that facet of his character ended up being the salvation of the movie. And I love how they pull those threads of the characters from 
where they believe that they are or where they think that they are as people versus their characters at the beginning to how they embrace their characters in the middle to how their characters and understanding the depth of their characters save them at the end. When I saw it again, when I watched it again, I'm like, wow, they really did give Alexander Dane the best, most emotional, most heavily acted scene in the movie. And that's Quillick's death scene. That's the scene you would give an actor of Alexander, Alexander Dane's caliber. So it's just funny that they kind of, they, they start, you know, uh, bookending the movie that way as, as, the, as the story progresses. You guys were talking about the way that, um, you know, Alan Rickman's character really kind of portrays some of that Stuart. I love the way, though, that they they get in and they layer that on top of the relationship that Nimoy and Shatner had for so many years. And with that, they're really competing for screen time. Um, And, you know, the way that he gets so angry, you know, anytime that, um, you know, he thinks that that Peter has the upper hand, you know, that it's all about, or or Jason, or whatever we want to call him, Captain Mm. Taggart, any of that. So I just love the way that they nail those dynamics of, of, and then you have the kind of the rest of the group. Uh, Gwen is a little bit more important because, you know, uh, her and Jason have this relationship and all, and they've had this flirtation for years. But then they have the guys in the background, you know, that just kind of follow along. And, I mean, I think that it just kind of really fits all that we know of, of the TOS uh, crew, you know, and, and I, the way that they make those characters interact. And, and what I love is that they do it lovingly so that by the end we have a good revolution, we have a good resolution as opposed to what we hear the TOS uh, crew still talk smack about each other these days except for you know Shatner and Nimoy they're like best buds um but the the rest of them just don't seem to have kind words for specifically Shatner so um and I I think that at least the film I, I like the way that they handle it because they do handle it very delicately they're poking fun at it, but then they have it all resolve nicely in the end, and and that's a that's that's nice. And I wish, too bad the TOS crew can't can't do that as well. Um, but uh, clearly, uh, they have to have a space adventure. Yeah, it, that's what they need. They need a space adventure. They need so, Thermians. Yeah, need, exactly. You know? Well, and and you know what's so funny too is that they also really and, and again they nail this well is that Shatner I think was the first one of them to completely just give himself over to being Kirk you know I I think he was the first one to realize this is going to be what I'm known for I'm just going to go with it you know Um, and I'm going to be okay with it and I like how they they really do that with uh, Tim Allen and his character, you know, how he's really interacting with the fans and he's, he knows the show inside and out, you know, and he really gets into it because at this point, what else has he got, you know? Um, And they, they actually write some really biting lines in there. Like when the cast says, you know, like, you know, he really loves, he really loves himself. You know, he loves the fans as almost as much as he loves himself. I mean, those, those lines were very specifically written to kind of like reinforce that point, but you know, at the end, you know, you see him up in his Hollywood Hills house and he is kind of a lonely man. 
Well, I mean, Shatner is such a personality. It's kind of one of those things where, like, they're they're talking about how that kind of arrogance, but yet that charisma kind of go hand in hand. Like, I, I'm very sure that it would probably be tough to deal with William Shatner all the time, every day. Um, but as a performer, you know, he's top notch. He's an entertainer at his heart. And I think that they did a good job of showing that, you know, maybe maybe people can have personal flaws, but they can also be really good at what they do, or they can really care about something and have passion for something that can kind of redeem those other qualities in some ways. Well, and it it, it also kind of shows um, his grasping on to who he is and being okay with it. That's when Shatner took off again. You know, when he just really kind of went with this persona of the Shat. Uh, it, it, you know, that's when we got Boston Legal and all of these things. I mean, he's just started playing this kind of character, and and people loved it. I mean, he was he's in all of these things because I think he just became okay with with who he was. And isn't that kind of the message of Galaxy Quest it, too? Is being okay with what life has given you, even if it's not everything you wanted to be, make the 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 most out of it. You know, like. That's that's a great message. These people have complained and whined, you know, that they were on this show and they never got to do anything else. But they also have a living that one makes people really happy, uh, and, and two still pays their bills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he's still living in a Beverly Hills mansion, uh, so uh, up on the up up on the hills there. So that that's nothing to sneeze at. I, I think that's a really it's an interesting thing, and again, it's one of those things I think the movie gets really, really right. Um, now, so let's kind of get into all the, the details of the movie and, and the things we really, really like, and then, of course, are, are there any things that for you, even as, as fun and good as the movie is, that you, you could say, oh, goodness, I this isn't my favorite part or anything like that. So, uh, Norm, uh We'll start with you, and we'll just kind of like popcorn it at this point because th- there's a lot to kind of dig into. You know, I always mention this in, in other podcasts that uh, I talk in, and and one of the things for me that really just struck home with me and resonated right off the bat was the quality of the design. When I saw the opening, uh, the cold opening where they were showing the two-part Omega-13 episode, I'm like, look at the look at the way that they're doing the film quality that it looks like something that's older. The the costumes look older. Uh, they have this this certain um, feel and era specific uh, design uh, approach to it, and and that's what you would expect from you know uh, a science fiction show of the time. And then they go they pan over to the crowd, and the crowd is wearing like various versions of the uniforms and various holding various posters and showing off various patches and collectible items. I mean. As the prop department, they must have had a blast with that because they're creating the Questarian universe where you actually see vendors selling third-party garage kit versions of the NES protector. I mean, that's which is what Brandon was making in his bedroom at the end of the movie. I mean, that's a garage kit. That was a resin model kit. Going that deep into making those specific details a part of the movie for me was just like, wow, they just, they went full bore on this and they didn't skimp on anything. You know, price was no, price was no object in this. But also I think that they, they cast this movie perfectly. I don't think that every time I watch it, I I don't, 
I don't see myself recasting anyone in particular. Um, I thought that um, the actor who played Tommy Weber was probably the least favorite of mine um, at the time. But uh, gosh, um, Tony Shalhoub as as Fred Kwan, as Tech Sergeant Chen, brilliant because he's supposed to be the technobabble expert and the guy can barely get a sentence out of him. You know, he can barely open a, a tin of cookies. Um, we already talked about Alan Rickman. We talk, already talked about um, Sigourney Weaver and Tim Allen. But uh, I just I can't say enough good things about um, Sam Rockwell in this movie because he, as Guy Fleegman and Rock Ingersoll at the end, he literally was this fish out of water character and it's like I have no idea what I'm doing here I don't even have a part I don't even have lines I don't even have dialogue I don't even have like a character to resonate with and in the end you know he just brought it all home for me but also the great Robin Sachs behind the makeup of Cirrus was just fantastic he uh you know he was a nice amalgamation of Romulans and Klingons and Gorn and all the type of rubber suited alien um you know uh enemies that uh, the any trek cast would have gone up against was fantastic i thought that stan winston's creature and effects crew was unbelievable with the thermians in their alien form uh, i thought that the design of the uh the any uh, the protector was just so many awesome shades of what another starfleet ship could be gosh i'm gushing i could just gush all over it i love the movie uh, i love the movie i'm out <laughs> title norm loves the movie there you go. I'm a, I'm a Questarian. I'm a Questarian for sure. <laughs> what about you, Andy? Um, well, I mean, I, I do agree that it's it's cast perfectly. I mean, even if we go right down into these smaller roles, we have some really great actors and great comedic actors that hadn't really popped yet. Um, there's a young Rain Wilson. We've got mm-hmm. Justin Long starting out. Uh, Missy Pyle. We hadn't seen much of her before this, and she definitely um, is a great comedic actress. And uh, one of my personal favorite actors ever is Enrico Colantoni, um, who just in general is a, a great actor. Um, and then specifically one of my favorite characters of all time in Veronica Mars as Keith Mars. Um and I just think that really, even if you get down to the smallest roles in this in this movie, you've just got some a real epic bench of talent here. Um, and I really liked how every single one of these parts and actors got a chance to shine. It was very well balanced. Obviously, we have our um, places that were focused, but everybody got their line. Everybody got their moment. You know, that's really nice. Um, I really want to say something about the pacing. Uh, the pacing in this movie is so good. I mean, every time you need a funny line, you've got a funny line. Every time you need a, a, a moment that connects with your heart, you've got feels coming all over. Every time you need a big action sequence, you've got it. And there's never a down moment. Um, it just really goes from event to event in a really organic way. And I mean, by the time you've you never notice yourself watching it, if that makes sense. Like, I always know if I'm not enjoying a movie, if I'm noticing things around the movie, you know, if I'm checking my watch, if I'm starting to get uncomfortable sitting, this side of thing. At this movie, you sit down to watch it, and then it's over, and you're like, wow, that went really fast, because you're enjoying every moment. And I think that's a that's an important thing that sometimes people don't keep in, in mind is pacing, so... I, I, I got to jump in here because I think that you're reading my mind because my favorite scene of this entire movie was the sequence of when when Gwen and and um, and Jason had to go and and 
stop the uh, the implosion of the ship. And Brandon is talking them through it. He has his band of nerds online all together, and they're getting him through all the different challenges and the chompers and everything that's just crazy in the ship. And all of a sudden, gotta cut. Take out the trash, I got to take out the trash. He's like, mother, I can't even begin to stress the severity of this situation. And the, the <laughs> most brilliant line in there was, don't forget to separate the recyclables. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. that's just a great example of of really understanding the timing of their movie, of of finding these comedic beats right in the middle of all of this this action. And then at the same time, too, we, we also get a really human moment between Jason and Gwen in that scene, too. So it's like that scene really is a good, like, small example of what the whole movie does, which is it allows every bit of emotion that you can get out of a movie happen. I mean, there's drama and action and heart and everything that you want from a movie. Um, And they don't overdo it on any of it. It's very well balanced. And I just think that's pretty rare. I I don't think, I don't think that happens to very often where it all just comes together like that, which is probably why this is one of our most beloved movies of all time. Yes. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and one of the things that just sitting here thinking about um, what you guys are talking about, I I really like the way that this movie shows how much you could do with Star Trek. It's, as much as this isn't a Star Trek movie, it does show where I think Star Trek itself got a little uh, inward focused. And always trying to basically, especially with the next generation films at this point, they're always just trying to be the Wrath of Khan. And there's so much more out there. You know, you can make a great story. You know, why why aren't we having great stories where, you know, the, the characters in, in of the next generation are going off and doing amazing things like we're seeing here with all the technology that you have? I mean, The Rock person here the grignac, the grignac is is directly related to star trek 5 and william shatner not being able to do the rock monster because it there wasn't the technology and it was going to cost an absolute fortune you know so i mean even those kind of small details they're just nailing in this movie um and kind of showing the the, the variety that exists now for us in sci-fi and I think that's something that really works for me with the story and and how good it is. Because not only is it telling a satire, it's also actually telling a pretty fun sci-fi story as well. And that's just, as you guys were talking about, you know, we've got all, all the great moments and everything like that. But it's also hitting those marks. And at the same time, it's not just a fun movie, but as we talked about earlier, there's some great themes in this movie as well that you can take away. And actually, if you think about it, you could actually learn something and, and apply to your own life. And and if you want to talk about a great movie, that's what makes a great movie to me. And I think that's why this stuck around. And, and uh, Andy, as we were talking about before we started, this becomes a cult hit, not just because it's a great homage to Star Trek, because there's so much more to this movie than just, hey, that's that movie that kind of makes fun of Star Trek, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, if if I had seen it in college and that's all it was, I would have never watched it again. I would not have really connected to that in any way. But I watched that movie tons of times. I It was one of my favorite comedies before I ever even saw Star Trek. And that's because it's just a good story in general. It's not just a Star Trek story or um, about Star Trek in general. It's just a fun 
sci-fi story in just in general. And it, it's reaching, at least for me, it has reached a, a certain, you know, um, cult classic status, say like as the Princess Bride, you know, because it has, it just it just resonates and it, and, and it sticks because there are these really great lessons that you can get away, from, you, know, you know, take away from it. And I think at the time, there was a shift that you were seeing in the motion picture industry where less and less and less risk was being taken and more and more and more templated marketing pieces were being created. And this is that kind of a movie where, you know, you just sit back. It wasn't supposed to go anywhere. It wasn't supposed to really do anything. It was just supposed to be this. It was one of DreamWorks earlier pictures. And it just, it really was just supposed to be, you know, um, a fun, lighthearted comedy that has some science fiction elements. Obviously, it 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 played up to the Star Trek crowd. But again, when you really take a look at a deep, deep, deep look at it, it has great structure. It has intelligent writing. It has characters that you care about. It has characters that you didn't think you were going to care about and end up cheering for at the end. There are just those moments of levity where you're you're dealing with all this drama and all this energy and all this action and then all of a sudden the bubble bursts and you're like when did that why did that happen and it just makes you laugh it releases all this emotion it just keeps you engaged and at the very 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 end you feel vindicated because all of these characters get their due you know galaxy quest the you know the journey continues and it just again resonates with that whole the original series got their second wave and their second energy with the next generation and those parallels even though they're not completely direct they do, uh, they do follow that. You know what? Our heroes are are still our heroes, and it was hard seeing them at first, but I'm glad they got vindicated in the end because it, these are just good people. They're trying to make the best out of a bad situation, thrust in this science fiction universe, and in the end, they came out okay. And that's fun. That's fun to see at the end. It's fun to be uplifted at the end of a movie every once in a while. There are a few things that, as I watch it now, I, I just think of that don't quite work. One is having the characters in their costume when they go to the convention <laughs> just cracks me up. You, I mean, you would never see, you know, obviously, um, you know, you're never going to see William Shatner in a Star Trek uniform. You know, you're never going to see um, any, uh, you know, Doctor Who characters in their costumes. You know, you're not going to see any Lord of the Rings star in their costume. So that was something that was really funny to me. And they needed that for the film um, to, to, to make it feel more like they're actually living out the adventure. But that's something for me that stuck out this time. I turned to my wife and I was like, I've been to a lot of conventions now. And the only people wearing the costumes aren't the stars <laughs> but they it's also always wanted, the fans <laughs> they also wanted to tie the you know the beginning and the end together right because exactly it was, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and now that you're saying that i'm thinking to myself why don't they how epic would it be if you went to a lord of the rings convention and orlando bloom was dressed up like legolas that would be pretty pretty epic i i say that we change that I say that we request a change in convention culture and ask them to start doing that because that would be pretty awesome. Or if they could cosplay other characters, that would be even better. Yeah, Orlando, um, we're going to need you to sit in makeup for four hours uh, before you can go on stage. Uh, 
I don't or, know. Yeah, or make him dress up like a hobbit. Like <laughs> let's 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 see Orlando Bloom in in Frodo's costume. And then you uh, would get that Alexander Dane moment of Orlando Bloom looking at the mirror. It's like I was an actor once, damn it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had five curtain I was calls. In some of the, I was in some of the highest grossing films of all time. <laughs> the only no. other thing that didn't that didn't work was just, you know, I don't have a problem with necessarily the the alien race building the ship, but actually finding the exact same sphere that powers the ship. I mean, it was that's really starts to stretch my imagination. Like uh, we made up dilithium just out of our butts. We just pulled the name out, and but you've actually found it. It exists, and it does exactly what we thought it did when we made it up. So those are the only things that I really think of, and those are completely minor quibbles. And it's more just like enjoyable to kind of think through those things okay what if this actually happens you broke the ship you broke the bloody ship exactly uh so (laughs) other than that i mean i think that that's what makes this movie so great is that like you said norm it has that princess bride status it's achieved that place where when we watch it we're not thinking about all those minor quibbles we're just enjoying the film as a whole because that's really what it is it is a whole film that does what it's trying to do so so well so that the things that here here that don't make sense who cares it's that's not the point and it doesn't matter because the rest of the film covers up for any of that the other thing it shares with the princess bride is just quotable lines oh yeah i mean how many times do you do you do you say you know buy grab thar's ha- hammer in a day i mean don't seriously. do that don't do that i mean it <laughs> what a saving <laughs> never give up <laughs> never surrender <laughs> but i mean it, it the lines are so quotable and they they evoke something um so you can reference it all the time i mean Having having quotable lines like that is really important for any comedy that you want to start becoming uh, like a pop culture touchstone, basically, because my goodness, I mean, you could some of these lines are just so well written and so funny and <laughs> like even just thinking about them just makes me laugh. I mean, we talked a lot about like the actual, say, structure and the, all of these elements, but we didn't talk very much about, you know, just how funny it is, how witty and... I love the fact that the Thermians were dying and then when Alexander Dane's Dr. Lazarus saves them, they give all the credit yes. to Cap- Commander was... Taggart. <laughs> Captain you Taggart has or... saved us! Commander Taggart has saved us! Norm, when you were, no? you, yeah. were talking about, <laughs> you were talking about Alexander Dane's character and all I could see was him walking in and like spreading his yep. arms wide yeah. and being like, I'm ready for my adulation now. Like, start start worshipping me. And they're like, <laughs> yay, the commander. And he's just like, ugh. You know, but the, awesome. Going back to the way that it, how well this movie was written, the brilliance of that scene was at that moment when everything was fine and dandy and everyone was having laughs, bang. You know, something happens to Quillick and then all of a sudden Alexander Dane turns into... Um, the character, the Dr. Lazarus character, where he he swears revenge. He throws down the line that he swears he would never throw down again. And that's by grab Thar's hammer, you shall be avenged. And he turns into Lazarus. And I think that's, it was just the the deftness and the timing of that scene was just fantastic. I love that scene. Ugh. You got to be really glad you cast Alan Rickman in that yeah. movie. Oh, you yeah. know? I mean, there 
there is like really just a handful of actors that can turn something like that where he can he has he delivers this line at least four or five times through this movie and and a couple of times really memorably one comedically by grab thars hammer Mm -hmm. what a savings and then (laughs) really just tragically um and still gives it the same amount of weight either way i mean that is expert class acting that's why i had five curtain calls Exactly. (laughs) So a few years ago on uh, io9, there was an article about Galaxy Quest. I remember seeing it and clicking on it. And uh, they had been talking to Lindsay Collins, uh, the producer of uh, Galaxy Quest, and John Carter on Collider. And she said that she had been having lunch with Sigourney Weaver and that she was telling them that there's actually a rated R movie version, like, of Galaxy Quest, and that there basically was a director's cut there. Everybody's swearing, there's sex scenes, all of this kind of stuff. Um, So this movie could have been very, very different if they had really gone that, that way. In fact, obviously we've seen lots of movies that do this. I mean, 21 Jump Street jumps to mind to me. Uh, as a film where you you know you take something rather silly and you turn it into kind of a raunchy rated R funny comedy that you know uh, teenagers beg their parents to be able to let them go see and you know thirty um, somethings and forty somethings go see and and laugh at because uh, they they remember original. What do you guys think about this idea of of having you know Galaxy Quest be rated R with lots of swearing and sex scenes and all that kind of stuff? See, I think that's it was interesting. I was I was reading this article on Galaxy Quest and and one of the reasons why a lot of the heart and some of the humor was put into some of the scenes was because Spielberg was on set and he interjected a lot of his, you know, this is how we would get the audience to react. And yes, it could have gone one way, but I think if it went kind of the more adult uh, 30-something uh, smutty kind of way, it would have really trashed the the reason why they brought in Star Trek in there in the first place. You know, Star Trek, uh, by and large, has this wholesome appeal to it, and it already has all of this drama and all this baggage that comes with it from the original series actors. And it's kind of like, it, 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 that would have made me feel the same way I felt when Data swore on Generations. It was there just to do it. It wasn't there for any real purpose. You know, when they were about to crash and Data looks at the monitor and he goes, oh you know, S word. Cause I can't Beep. see it. Exactly. And you're like, okay, so he has an emotion chip and the first thing he really does with his emotion chip is swear. Is that really necessary? Or is that just to sell it to the audience? Because now we're in a movie version of the next generation as opposed to the TV version of the next generation. So I'm glad they didn't go that route because uh, with galaxy quest, because I think it would have just cheapened what they were trying to do and create this really nice, wholesome universe of a good comedy uh, with get actors and good writing and, and to have this uh, esprit de corps with the crew. I mean, I just, for me, it's it's like that might have been interesting to see, and I certainly don't mind that kind of comedy. Um, but this movie is already pretty flawless. I just, I don't think you need to mess with a good thing here. I mean, it's just already, adding even a, a minute here or there can change the entire pacing of a movie. I mean, that's why extended cuts are often really strange um, because even adding five minutes in can change the whole flow of a movie. 
I just I don't know that you need to mess with uh, such a great movie. I mean, uh, how are you going to improve Galaxy Quest, really? And there are a couple of pretty noticeable scenes where they did um, ADR Sigourney Weaver, especially during the Chomper scene, because you can clearly see her intent versus what was spoken or what was ADR'd. So maybe in that particular scene, because the Chompers were so ludicrous and you can obviously feel how she feels about them because she just screams at you, this episode was poorly written, someone should die. So, um, And that yeah. is probably my favorite line. Oh, so funny. And it's just like her, her rage. Like, I have to do this because some writer in the 80s thought it would be more dramatic on screen. <laughs> well, and I, I think this is one of those things that, you know, on a whole, I don't necessarily think that sex and adult situations and 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 all of that um language even really usually add to this kind of movie um like you said norm i think it would just detract and uh it would turn it into something that isn't as accessible that isn't as good um you know there are plenty of films where language or you know uh, those kind of scenes add something to the story because they, they actually are, are building something into the characters or any of that kind of stuff. This isn't that movie. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm glad that they had the foresight to see that that isn't the way to go with this. And I I just don't think we would be talking about it if, they, if that's the way they had gone with it. I mean, who talks about any of those, uh, you know, uh, stupid movies where they, you know, they make fun of scream and and all of that stuff. Nobody cares about those. You know, they're they're raunchy, terrible, unfunny movies because anybody can make those jokes. Whereas this movie had to do the job of of telling a very adult story with adult themes of of people trying to figure out in their life who they are and where they're going and all of this kind of stuff, but make it accessible to the entire family. And they pull it off marvelously. Well, I mean, that's a, yeah, that's another thing I was going to say, too, is, I mean, this is a movie that kids can enjoy, and there are a lot of kids who love Star Trek. Um, and I think Star Trek, it may not be a kid's show per se, but I think that a lot of kids grow up watching Star Trek and love Star Trek, so having a, a comedy like that... Um, about Star Trek, it's nice to have um, that's, you know, Ebel for for kids to watch it. And, I mean, it's not like they don't get some edgy jokes in there. Um, there are plenty of edgy jokes. Um, when um, Quan is kissing Lalieri, <laughs> I mean, that's that's pretty edgy. Hey, hey guys, there's, get a room. There's, huh? <laughs> yeah, there's torture. I mean, people die. There's almost a genocide. I mean, that's that's pretty... That's pretty adult themed, I'd say. They were minors and not minors, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You lost me on that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's pretty clear that Quan is baked the whole time. I mean, it's not like it doesn't have those elements. He is to eating it. something almost in every scene. Yes, and just like that half-lidded, close eyes, like what kind of thing? I mean, that was, <laughs> that was pretty obvious. <laughs> So why, uh, I guess lastly, why hasn't this gotten a sequel? I mean, uh, you know, we've seen you know cult hits uh, come back and get sequels. Where's our sequel to Galaxy Quest? 
you know what? It's one of those things, and I think it was lightning in a bottle with the fans. We we never, I mean, because the Princess Bride was a book, you know, by S. Morgenstern and 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 done by the the great Rob Reiner. Um, maybe, and it's just one of those things where it's it's probably it's probably so well revered because it's it's fantastic as it is. It hasn't been sequelized, so we have to pretty much milk that movie for every single thing that we can get out of it and we still get more out of it to this day i mean i watched it you know the other night and i just i can't believe that i've missed a couple things in there here and there where it's just either my i'm older and i see it in a different frame of reference now or i haven't seen it in a while or because i'm a little bit more uh, my vocabulary with star trek has expanded over the course of the last couple years and i've read a little bit more about it and i can apply it to what i see in the movie it's it's a great it's a great movie in and of itself and I think it I think it did modestly well at the box office but again movies nowadays they just don't take that kind of chance they used to take anymore you know if if it's not going to be the the return on the marketing investment and, and launch some pop star's career even though that pop star doesn't belong in a movie sometimes that that chance just isn't taken anymore and it's it's sad not to see that in in films it's sad not to see the try even though it's it may turn out to be a cult favorite. It just doesn't get the green light. And and um, I think that's why we haven't seen a sequel yet. Do we need to see a sequel? I don't think so. I mean, it's, that's my opinion. I feel it, like it's a, it's a, it's pretty good on its own. I mean, I understand whenever you love something, the obvious, you know, the obvious thought is, ooh, more, right? You want more of it. But sometimes... I mean, think about how many sequels are bad and kind of ruin your enjoyment of the first one. I feel like this is a very specific movie from a very specific time that works as itself. And I think I think that's uh, nails it. You know, not everything needs a sequel. Uh, you know, this movie made seventy one and a half million dollars at, at the box office, and that's it. Uh, and production budget for its 45 million so it, it really doesn't make the studio that much money uh it is a cult classic and i think p- more people would go see the sequel than they did the original the problem is is that by creating that sequel you really need to create something fantastic a really good reason to make a sequel to this uh and as was evidence with dumb and dumber you do not need a sequel and your sequel does nothing but kind of tarnish your reputation. And, or Anchorman uh, 2, for example. Yeah, Anchorman 2 is terrible. It's a terrible film. And so, yeah, this is one of those movies I think we just need to kind of enshrine and say, look, it's it, it doesn't need a sequel. It's, it's the best it's ever going to get by itself, which was awesome. So let's keep it awesome. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's, let's not go there. So, yeah. Um, I think that Galaxy Quest is is a movie that sci-fi fans of all ages can enjoy, and and that's what we love about it. And like you said, Norm, one of the great things is, and and like you, you know, I was picking up some things that I hadn't seen before, you know, uh, watching it again, and that's what makes it enjoyable is is all the little things that they put in there that they got right. Uh, and it's it, it makes it just a, a fantastic movie to see. So, guys, uh, final thoughts on Galaxy Quest? It rocks. <laughs> it's Grignac. <laughs> <laughs> Which, speaking of the Grignac, I mean, that was one scene that I really enjoyed a lot more once I had seen the Gorn fight scene, 
And then afterwards, I see you've managed to get your shirt off. That line <laughs> made me laugh so much harder now. I was like, can you find a rudimentary lathe? Get out of here, guys. Like, <laughs> yes. <you know. laughs> I mean, that whole, that whole scene is so much funnier to me now. Like, even thinking about it makes me laugh because the first time I saw the arena, I just died laughing. That's one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek ever. And just to see it tweaked so perfectly, um, all of the rolling around and the shirtlessness. Does the rolling help? Yeah, it helps. <laughs> it does help. Yeah. I mean, obviously. <laughs> Have any of you guys ever seen the show? <laughs> Honestly, right now I just want to go watch it again. I might, <laughs> I might go watch it after we finish this. Gosh, I can't. It's it's hard. I'm trying to like, I'm trying to sum up all of my final thoughts on this. But for the for the listener who's who's uh, stumbled upon this podcast or, or has been listening to Six O Two from the very beginning, I think that this is the one show that I've. A lot of the fans on the Babel conference have asked us to do because of its of the love that that people have for this movie. Uh, I, I'm so glad to have been here on the show because uh, you could probably hear through my microphone that I can't stop gushing about Galaxy Quest. And for the for the sole reason of that, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. It's well written. It's well acted. It has a lot of heart. It has comedy where it needs to be. It has drama where it needs to be. It has so many good moments, so many great moments, and a few exceptional moments, and probably zero to negative zero bad moments for me. But overall, if you're a Star Trek fan, you will love this movie. If you're not a Star Trek fan, you will love this movie. If you're a fan of comedies in general and just enjoy something that's lighthearted and fun, and you can watch on a rainy day with a nice bowl of soup and some hot sandwiches, you know, it's just, God, I can't. Let me just sum it up for you right here before I just keep going on. Just watch it. Because once you do, listen to this podcast again and you will laugh even harder at what we're saying. Or you will cry even harder at what we're saying. Or you will just smile even wider at what we're saying. Because that's what this movie does to you. This movie makes you feel so many different ways and defines what that quote unquote the feels really means to you. This movie just, again, like I said earlier, it does. It leaves you feeling great. And any movie that can do that and, and kind of make me think along the way and make, and maybe teach me something along the way uh, and um, make me want to watch it again later on, and what more can you really ask from a film? Um, you know, I think that who would have thought in 1999 on Christmas Day when they may have gone to see this movie, that, oh goodness, uh, this is going to be my favorite movie ever. I'm going to want to watch this, you know, all the time. I don't think anybody thought that. Um, and obviously not a lot of people went and saw it. So, uh, But throughout the years, it, it's gained a reputation of being a very funny movie. Um, but it, it's, a, it's just a well-made film that uh, does everything right. Um, I, I really, even for the little quibbles I have sometimes, especially as I watch it now, there's nothing about this film that, that's not enjoyable, I don't think. And uh, part of that, as we've talked about, is, is fantastic casting. And so that every time that you watch the movie, you're drawn back in to, to what's happening with the characters. And 
story and character is what it's all about for any movie and they nail those things here so yeah like norm says go watch galaxy quest you will not be disappointed guys it has been a blast talking about galaxy quest today but of course it is not the only thing we've been talking about on track fm this past week so here is a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network previously on trek.fm standard orbit because it's it's actually legitimately trying to say something. Yes, it's very Star Trek. It may be the most Star Trek of all Star Trek. Yeah, it's definitely what I would point to as being, this is what science fiction is about. Earl Grey. Kovac will tell us to experience Bij sometimes, in which case we will draw the Bij card, Klingon word for pain. Is so it birthday? It is, it is. It, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. To the journey! That's the one thing we could take from Homecoming is like paragraph one, Chakotay and Seven break up. That's for real. Yeah, they that shake happened. hands and go, hey, it's been fun. It's been nice. Thanks for the picnic. Eh, see then... ya. Commentary, Trek stars. Fair At this enough. point, like they could say, yeah, why not? Star Wars crossover. I would, I would essentially say, fine. Both franchises are dead. Let's just sew them together and see what happens. Melodic Treks. One of the most well thought out alien races that you only see in one episode. Yeah, and the music is, is it's menacing without being over menacing, if that makes yeah. sense. Axanar, the official podcast. I think Justin Lin is a, is a fascinating choice to direct because the Fast and the Furious movies, even though, yeah, they're action, adventure, road race movies, are really about a family. The 602 Club. That's really cool, though. I mean, I, I think that is uh, a fantastic way to get to see just about any movie is, is kind of being able to watch it through a kid's eyes. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. And of course, beyond you questers. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. It really helps people find the show when they're searching for us on iTunes, as well as star ratings and reviews. We really appreciate those, guys. It really helps us move up in those strange inner workings of the Apple iTunes rating system. And if you're not an Apple user, guess what, guys? We've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and, of course, you can stream and download the MP3 from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Andy, I love having you on the 602, and, of course, you know you're welcome back anytime, but if people haven't heard you on the show before, where can they find you on the interwebs? Best way is at my Twitter account at First Time Trek, where I am still working my way through the original series. Um, but I finally have a deadline for when I must finish season two, so I will be doing some more um, some more trekking soon. And then also, if you want to see some of the archives um, from my older tweets on the Next Generation, I am on Tumblr at First Time Trek. So that's me. And Norm, uh, it is it is always fantastic to have my associate producer here on the show, which I cannot say thank you enough for your support of, of the network and the show uh, here at the 602. It has meant the world to me. And if last year hadn't given me a, a wife, 
um, you would have been one of the best things to come out uh, of the year. You may <laughs> oh, have wow. been the best Thank thing, you. but I got a wife, so <laughs> That's high she's indeed. the best thing. And so, uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. And uh, tell everybody where they can find you online and on the network. Before I jump into that, I just want to let everyone know that if you want to watch more Galaxy Quest, there's an actual Galaxy Quest 20-year adventure continues movie on YouTube where the actors actually stay in character of their characters and talk about the history of their experiences on the Galaxy Quest show. It was a marketing junket for the movie. It's fantastic. It's about 20 minutes. It's awesome. So that being said, uh, you can always find me here on the network or on the Babel Conference, our dedicated Facebook listeners page, or on Twitter at Norman Lau, that's N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. And I'm a huge supporter of Alec Peters and the Axonar Project. And you can find me on the dedicated Axonar fan group page on Facebook. You can also listen to me here on Trek FM as the host of Warp 5, our dedicated enterprise podcast. And lastly, I'm a proud sponsor of Trek FM through Patreon, and I'm an associate producer of four shows, Warp 5, The Orb, The 602 Club, and Axonar, the official Axonar podcast. So, as I hold my hand to my heart... Buy Grabthar's hammer. Be a patron. <laughs> and thank you, Matthew, for those kind words. It's been uh, it's been a special collaboration between the two of us, and I'm glad that we had a chance to meet. Mm. And honestly, folks, I'm not plugging this, but I am plugging this. All of this happened to me because I started a relationship with Trek FM through Patreon. So opportunities abound. Well, guys, thank you so much for being here today. Another way that you can keep all of our shows coming to each week is to become a patron of the network, as Norm said, on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find all our current goals and milestone contribution levels, along with the great perks that we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really do appreciate your support, and and honestly, this is the truth. We cannot do this without you, and we hope that you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. If you'd like to contact us, you can do that at trek.fm slash contact. You can leave us a voicemail, look in the sidebar on the show page, or go to speakpipe.com. You can also find us on Twitter at TrekFM, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM, and of course, we're on the Babel Conference. That's our listeners-only discussion group. That's the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, in the search field. Just type that in Facebook or make it simple on yourself. Go to the website at Trek.FM and click Discussion on the menu bar. And before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps bring the 602 Club and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to, but with our busy schedules, just might not have time for. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for their support of the 602 Club and the network. And of course, guys, you can find me at mattrushing02 on Twitter. You can also find me on Literary Treks with Dan talking about the books and comics of Star Trek. I also do The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine all the time. And then my own personal blog, where I just do reviews of movies and books and talk about things that are important to me at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. 
Thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you.